0: As kingdom citizens, we step outside the gates of our little kingdom and we step into the kingdoms of the world and try to bring order and beauty and harmony in relationships. And do you know what it does when we do that? It shuts the mouths of those that would accuse us of being evildoers.
1: Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. We've spent the last several weeks learning what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Scripture identifies those who belong to Christ as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, in God's possession. Last week, Pastor Trent taught that the Bible also calls believers exiles and introduced us to the first of five things an exile must understand. We learned first that exiles don't live to satisfy their passions. According to Galatians chapter 5, we as believers battle the temptations of the flesh by walking by the Spirit of God. So let's open now to 1 Peter chapter 2. As Pastor Trent continues in the message, we are exiles, and tells us four more things an exile understands. Here's Pastor Trent.
0: Exiles don't expect peace with the natives. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When he uses the word Gentiles there, he's writing to a Jewish audience here, and he's speaking of people that are outside the kingdom of God. But he says, those people are watching you, therefore keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. Isn't it interesting that it says when they speak against you? It doesn't say if they speak evil against you. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you're kind of considering, do I want to be among these strange exile, sojourner type people down here? You need to understand that if you surrender to King Jesus and become part of his kingdom, you will be spoken against as an evildoer. God doesn't say you're an evildoer. They say you're an evildoer. But you will have the crosshairs of a rival king on you that will try to assimilate you and destroy your defenses as you try to live out your allegiance to your king. It's what we call persecution. Now, there's all kinds of various levels of persecution. Probably the greatest level of persecution would be what we're seeing in some places in the Middle East where some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are paying the ultimate price for living out their allegiance to King Jesus. There are places in this world where Christians are being crucified, literally crucified. Their throats are being slit. You and I are not having to pay that price, but we would have to say that persecution is on the rise. So let's give that a definition. What does it mean to be persecuted? Paul Nyquist, who is the president of Moody Bible Institute, says this. Persecution is societal marginalization of believers with a view to eliminating their voice or their influence. As we said a couple of weeks ago, the kingdoms of this world don't care what we say in here. They just don't want you to influence anybody out there. So in the schoolroom, They'll tell you, you can't write that paper about Jesus. You you can't hand a a Bible to a a friend at, at work. You can't demonstrate that you love King Jesus boldly. They'll put restrictions on that out there. That doesn't mean you shouldn't boldly live out your faith. But notice, there's options you have if you are ever marginalized, isolated, threatened, fined, or you are threatened to lose your job, or maybe there's some type of economic pressure they're putting on you. When they speak boldly against you, I've thought of five options, okay? Here's the first option. When they speak against you as an evildoer, you have an option. Number one, speak back. Say, I'm not an evildoer, you're an evildoer. And if you raise your voice a little bit and you scrunch up your face, maybe they'll be intimidated and they won't tell you anymore. I'm not an evildoer, I'm a Christian! (laughs) nabbit. How how many of you understand that is not a good strategy? right? That is not a good strategy. But how many of you have done that? You've gotten mad and you've tried to defend yourself and and it's just made the situation worse. You're just pouring gasoline on a fire, right? So that's not a good option. Option number two is this, run for cover. All right, they're railing against you and they're accusing you of being an evildoer. Just just run away. Crawl under your bed. Lock all the doors. Go in the basement. Hide the children. Don't ever come out. Don't ever let anybody ever know that you're a kingdom citizen. And they won't speak evil against you. How many of you understand? That is not a good plan. That is not the strategy we're to employ. Here's a third option. Burst into tears. Just, just feel really bad that you have to endure this. Just, just get depressed and I don't know why they're saying all these bad things about me. I'm a good person and I, they told me in church I was supposed to live out my life for Jesus and here I am paying all these consequences and then you adopt a victim mentality. I just pray God would just kill me right now and welcome me into heaven for the hero of the faith that I am. <laughs> Is that the way we're supposed to live? No, bad option. Fourth option. Claim your rights. Hire an attorney. <laughs> Sue every person that gives you an evil look and accuses you of being an evildoer and say, that's slander, I'm not an evildoer. And you claim your rights and you say, no, the, the Constitution tells me that I have freedom of speech and freedom of religion and, and you can't talk to me that way. Now Listen. There there are legitimate organizations that exist to defend religious liberty, and and that is important. And there are times that lawsuits do need to be filed. I was in contact with one this week um, in Indianapolis called First Liberty, and their track record is wonderful. Nine out of ten cases where they step in and defend uh, religious liberty, they win. They've argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. Thank God for those organizations. Thank God that there is still a semblance of freedom of religion, and we need to do what we can to hold on to those things. But if you're trusting the American government to defend your rights as a kingdom citizen, you're going to be sadly disappointed. So you can claim your rights, or here's the fifth option, and it's really the option, it's the only option that we have in Scripture. When you're spoken evil of, prove them wrong by your conduct. That's what he says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what is it about your conduct that is so honorable? What is it about your character that is so impeccable? What is it about your behavior that is so respectable that they can't figure it out? You're so strange. Your marriage stays together. It's filled with intimacy and permanence, and it's so contagious. People come up and say, how do you do that? And you raise your kids in a way that they're, they're kind, and they're obedient, and they're disciplined. Do you understand that that gets the world's attention? And pretty soon they're saying... What is so weird about why? Why do you do that? And it may not, re, uh, it, it may not eliminate all the persecution, but it will certainly get their attention. Here's the third thing. Exiles obey every law of man that does not require them to disobey the laws of God. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word subject there means to rank under. It's a military term. You have a sergeant and you have a private. They both have equal value. They both have equal rights. But one of them voluntarily places himself under the authority of another and This word is an important word for kingdom citizens because there are times that as kingdom citizens, even though we answer to a higher authority, we voluntarily place ourselves under, notice, human institutions. What are the human institutions? Government, the marketplace. You might play on a sports team, and there are coaches and captains on that team. And you voluntarily place yourself under. One of the greatest mistakes that Christians make is thinking that you are above the law because you worship and serve King Jesus and answer to no other authority. That is not biblical. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So here in verse 14, we have the two purposes of human government. Do you see it? To praise those who do good, to punish those who do evil. So kingdom citizens should be the best American citizens. And that gives us credibility. Understand, though, that at times we will have to take a stand whenever a law of man requires us to disobey a law of God. You say, but Peter said we're supposed to be subjects, so aren't, aren't we supposed to obey every law? Now, remember who's writing this, okay? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, Peter was the boldest disciple of Jesus. And when he sinned, he sinned boldly. And when he obeyed, he obeyed boldly. And most of the time when he was around Jesus, he sinned boldly. But then when Jesus was resurrected, Peter was so transformed by the truth that this resurrected Lord was his king, he became the boldest preacher. When we get to the book of Acts, he preached this incredible sermon... Boldly proclaiming the kingship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happened immediately following that? Peter was arrested. And Peter went to prison. They brought him before one of the governors. And they made a new law. Here's the new law. You are not allowed to speak any more of this Jesus king thing. Don't do it. It's it's now against the law. And what did Peter, the man who wrote those words, what did Peter say? We read it in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John answered them and says, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So if you release us, we're gonna preach. And we're going to do it boldly and unapologetically. And if it means that we're disobeying the laws of man, so be it. We will not disobey the law of God. So there are times as kingdom citizens, rare times, fortunately for us, there are rare times when we may have to pay a legal penalty for doing something God has commanded us to do. But we do it in the right spirit. We do it without sarcasm. We do it respectably. Because we want our conduct to be honorable, even in our disobedience. Here's the fourth thing. Exiles let their goodness speak loudly. Exiles let their goodness speak loudly. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living but living as servants of God. So it's interesting. Look back up at verse 13. What, why are we supposed to be subject to these human institutions? Do you see it there in verse 13? For the Lord's sake. There's a vertical reason. There's something that pleases God when we value authority. Do it for the Lord's sake. But then when we get to verses 15 and 16, we find another motivation for being good citizens, not only for the Lord's sake, but for Pete's sake. You say, who's Pete? Well, do you know Pete? He's the guy in your algebra class. He's the guy that sits next to you in the cubicle. He's the guy that he lives next to you in the neighborhood. just It's a horizontal reason because you want Pete, whoever he may be, to understand that you are more concerned about the will of God than the will of man, but as a good citizen, you are on mission to help other people become kingdom citizens. That's what it says here in verse 15. We are to do good. So what do we do that's good? What does it mean to do good? First of all, we need to understand that the gospel teaches us that we have zero capacity to do anything good. That's what the gospel teaches. You do not have in your flesh the ability to do anything good. Even the good things we do, considered filthy rags, right? So that's what the gospel teaches us. But we rely upon the enabling of God's spirit to do what we can for the community that surrounds us. I told you last week I've been reading this book called Good Faith, being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant or extreme. And Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman say this, living in good faith means helping the world and the people in it to be right and orderly, abundant and generous, beautiful and flourishing with life and relationships just as God created them to be. So we live in a world that's full of chaos, right? Do you know what we do that's good? We step into chaos and try to bring order and right. We live in places where there's injustice. We step in and try to create justice. We live in places that are greedy And places that are impoverished. We step into those places and try to provide abundance and generosity. We go to places that are ugly. Ugly relationships and ugly marriages. We step into those and try to create beauty and flourishing in life and relationships. Those things are happening all around us. As kingdom citizens, we step outside the gates of our little kingdom and we step into the kingdoms of the world and try to bring order and beauty and harmony in relationships. And do you know what it does when we do that? It shuts the mouths of those that would accuse us of being evildoers. Not only does it shut their mouths, do you know what it does? It opens their ears. And now the message of the gospel has a hearing because they've seen our good works that speak so much louder than our words. Here's the last thing. Number five, exiles are aware of who is watching. We come to the final verse here in verse 17, and we have four imperatives, four commands for exiles. See it? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. The first one, to honor everyone. The word honor means to place high value on someone. To honor means to consider them of worth and value. It has nothing to do with whether or not they are honorable. It is a command to honor. And who are we to honor according to that verse? Everyone. That includes unbelievers. That includes people of a different political party. That includes people who have a different skin color than you. That includes people who are older than you. People who are younger than you. People that claim to have a different gender identity than you. Honor everyone. Now notice it doesn't say fear everyone. That's reserved for somebody else. I am to honor everyone. That means that in every person, no matter how religious or irreligious, every person, no matter how old or young, every person, no matter how beautiful or ugly, lovely or unlovable, strong or weak, rich or poor, I am to give them honor. It means this. My opponents have value, people that oppose me, people that accuse me, people that persecute me. Jesus taught I'm to pray for those who persecute me. Why? Because they are image bearers of God. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a wedding, and there's about two or three hundred people in this wedding, and I saw an old friend of mine in the room, and uh, uh, this this is a guy who came out as a an openly gay man a few years ago. He was he's still a friend of mine, and I knew that in that room, he was probably wondering if he was accepted, if anybody had any kind of friendship for him. And man, I went right to him, and I, guess who I sat next to in the wedding? I sat next, next to my friend. And you know, we didn't debate the merits of, of homosexuality or Christianity or anything. I just, I just wanted him to know, you know what? I, th- this does not have to be awkward. You're an image bearer of God. I I can have a conversation with you. I can sit next to you. We can laugh. We can enjoy our time together. Is that the way that you live your life as a kingdom citizen? Or do you shy away from those people? Don't make eye contact with them. Don't get too close to them. Or do you honor everyone? doesn't mean you approve of their lifestyle. doesn't mean you approve of their opinions. But you can express honor to somebody and then this he says not only to honor everyone but love the brotherhood that means i need to find my fellow exiles and i need to love them that's why it's so important that you are attached to a community of other exiles it's hard and getting harder to live as a kingdom citizen I need brothers and sisters to come alongside of me and encourage me and love me and help me and counsel me from time to time. So listen, we got no room to be fighting with each other got no room to be picking apart and criticizing one another. In the family of God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We lock arms and we pray for one another. And what we said in the announcements earlier is so important. If you're one of the people that just kind of comes and participates on the fringe of our church, you're welcome to do that. But take your next step inside so that we can love you well and you cannot just benefit from a loving community, but that you can now contribute some of the love in your heart to love us. We as exiles need one another to love and be loved. Love the brotherhood. Here's the third command in verse 17. Fear God. That means only God will receive my worship. The word fear there doesn't mean to be cowardly afraid of God. It doesn't mean that you run away from Him. It means you run to Him. The word fear is an expression of worship. It means reverential awe. That God is so high and so holy that I give Him the worship that is due Him. Now notice, it doesn't say fear everyone. Don't worship everyone. That's idolatry. It doesn't say that I am um, to to fear everyone. The brotherhood. Don't worship the brotherhood. Don't worship church. And it doesn't say I'm supposed to fear or worship the emperor. The word fear is reserved for God. My worship is reserved for God. He alone is high and lifted up. His name is above every other name, He is exalted. That's what keeps me centered and able to do the other three commandments. And the fourth is this honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was at the time Peter wrote this? It was a guy named Nero. Nero is probably known as the greatest hater of God and God's people in the history of mankind. Do you know what Nero would do with Christians, kingdom citizens? He would capture them. He would dip them in oil. He would impale them on a pole, put the pole beside his driveway... And you'd have a series of Christians impaled on poles and then he would light them on fire so that when his chariot came up the driveway, he would have a lighted driveway. And Peter said, honor that guy. Now, what is your complaint about President Obama? What, 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 what problem and difference do you have with Hillary or Donald? Listen, I do not know who the next president's going to be. I don't know how you're going to vote. I don't know how I'm going to vote. It's probably going to look like this, though. (laughs) Hold your nose and mark the box and send it through the machine, right? But I know this. There is a name that is higher than any other name. Jesus Christ is exalted over all. The whole reason we're doing this series is to understand we don't have to panic. And we don't have to complain And we don't have to criticize. We can pray for our president without including the phrase, turn his wicked heart to you, Lord. Destroy the works of his hand. No. We can honor those that God has allowed to be in positions of authority knowing that Jesus is our king. The best candidate is not available to be president. He's already king. So there is a sense in which no matter who is in the Oval Office, it's gonna be okay because I am living in exile. I'm a temporary resident. One day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. Would you stand with me right now? And as we conclude this message and as we conclude this series, I want to remind you of what is written in the final Verse or in the final book of the Bible, speaking of our king. Revelation 19 says this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, with one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And on his robe and on his thigh was a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. There is a name that is exalted above all. Christ is exalted. His throne is one that is occupied. He is in complete control. He has not lost an ounce of his power and he ever lives to make intercession for you, a citizen
1: of the kingdom. Well, now that we know the outcome of the election, and our nation has its next president-elect, as believers, we need to continue to place our trust not in government or politicians, but in King Jesus alone. And just as we learned today in 1 Peter 2, as exiles, we are called by God to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. In doing so, we point others to Jesus and bring glory to our worthy King. Well, each week it is a privilege to bring Pastor Trent's teaching to the radio, and you can hear the same bold proclamation of God's word each weekend at Harvest Bible Chapel. We love an opportunity to worship with you at one of our weekend worship services on two different campuses. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on our Granger, Indiana campus and Sundays at 10 a.m. at our St. Joseph, Michigan location. For more information and for campus locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.